It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The world watched in horror. Some called it a coup, as protesters, brandishing weapons and Trump campaign signs, stormed the Capitol. What you're seeing is something we've never seen before in the United States of America, the Capitol under siege. This is exactly what was feared, but in no way is this a surprise. It has been fueled by the president's rhetoric, and it's increasingly clear this election has not healed the wounds. It has simply amplified them. Government was paralysed, the House overrun by a violent mob, draped in Confederate flags. But while his supporters thought they were seizing power for Donald Trump, did they actually manage to hasten the end of his political influence? It was always assumed before Wednesday that President Trump would remain a real force in the Republican Party. But after Wednesday's events, that does seem rather less likely. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the violent death throes of the Trump presidency. My name's Laura Pullman and I am the New York correspondent for The Sunday Times. I've arrived in Washington, D.C. and it's a blue sky day on Thursday. And the sounds behind me are the sounds of construction workers erecting metal fencing to protect the Capitol building. A lot of people were leaving at the train station when I arrived. Some were vowing to come back for Joe Biden's inauguration to show their discontent. Others were saying that their work was done. Came into Washington, drove in here uh, Tuesday night. So, And why was it important to you to come to D.C.? In order to sit there and represent my president. Has it been an emotional 24 hours in Su- Washington for you? Super emotional. Are you able to describe that? Well, uh, went from being felt like I was very special. Everyone was happy and hugging at the rally. And within a couple hours after coming here to the Capitol and hearing what happened, people were, and myself, were mad saying that like Pence was a traitor because we felt that in our hearts that, that Trump, again, somebody had become a, a traitor mm. to the cause of the cause of the good, the cause of the people. I feel like it was very justified in the fact that we've seen it happening in our streets for over a year now and cops are just letting it happen and 
we have our politicians just letting it happen. And, you know, they, they think that we're stupid and stuff, but, you know, they're, they're destroying our country. It was always going to be a tense moment. After weeks of conspiracy theories about the election results, failed court cases and angry speeches fanning the flames of hate across the country, it was the final throw of the dice for the Trump presidency. Could the Senate and Congress block the path to power for President Biden? We all knew January the 6th was set to be the Trump camp's final desperate shot at holding on to power. But what unfolded during the course of a remarkable day in the history of America shocked everyone, including the Times US editor David Charter. I was expecting uh, a tumultuous day because we knew that there was a huge gathering of Trump supporters coming to Washington and that they would be addressed by various speakers, including the president. And so trouble was expected in Washington, but nothing like this storming of the Capitol building. This is the legacy of Donald Trump's presidency that we are seeing right now. Never in my life did I think we would be witnessing something like this in our country. It's been breached, someone shot inside, and all of this chaos right behind me, right in front of me. I have never seen, I've been here 10 years. He was a chaos candidate. He turned into a, 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 a chaos, chaos president. They, they've breached the Capitol. This is anarchy in the making. It just never really crossed my mind that the Capitol Police could be so easily overrun and that protesters, some of them armed, could make it as far as the Senate floor uh, and into offices, including Nancy Pelosi's office. It, it was unimaginable that something of that nature could happen. But looking back on the day, there was a sort of grim inevitability to this unwinding and total nadir collapse of the Trump presidency. Yeah, I mean, what, what a day. A lot of people watching all over the world were shocked by that. You'd, you'd imagine the capital would just be... S- better defend it? What went wrong? Well, first of all, let me say that I've spoken to black Americans about this and they are furious to watch this spectacle of Trump supporters being treated with such kid gloves by the authorities uh, in the Capitol. They just say, can you imagine if this was a crowd of black demonstrators protesting for racial justice that had got as far as Congress and started trying to tear down fences around the Capitol building, which they never did, just how they would have been treated by the authorities. And I think it bears reflection. There would have been, and I'm not, I know this sounds crazy, to be talking about this. There would have been a bloodbath if that had been a Black Lives Matter demonstration. We were expecting some form of protest and at the same time we were expecting quite a lively time politically inside the House. What was supposed to happen yesterday? What were you expecting from the senators and from Republicans? Well, we expected all sorts of machinations from Republican members still loyal to President Trump who vowed to bring objections to the results of the election from a number of states. We were expecting maybe four, five or six states would find that there was an objection both in the House uh, and in the Senate 
which would trigger the two chambers to go off and hold a two-hour debate and vote uh, on each objection to the state's results. So normally, this joint session of Congress is quite a formal affair. Madam Speaker and members of Congress, pursuant to the Constitution and the laws of the United States, the Senate and House of Representatives are meeting in joint session. Results of each state are brought in ceremonially and opened in front of the vice president who's chairing the whole occasion. He hands the results to tellers who read out that Alaska or Arizona or wherever has voted for Trump and Pence or voted for Biden and Harris. And the votes are tallied and everyone goes home uh, in time for tea. But we knew that there was going to be objections raised on four, five or six states by Trump's most loyal members of the House. And what they needed to take that to a debate and a vote was the agreement of at least one senator to join uh, the rebellion. The session was interrupted as the House and Senate were separately debating the first of the challenged results. So that was Arizona. I rise up for myself and 60 of my colleagues to object to the uh, counting of the electoral ballots from Arizona. A state that Biden flipped uh, from the Republicans, and there were a lot of claims by the Republicans in Arizona of fraud and dirty dealing that have not been stood up in court or substantiated. It was during the debate on this first state's results that the incursion into the building began. And of course, when they came back, they rattled through this objection to Arizona quite quickly. It was very heavily defeated, much more heavily in the Senate than we were expecting. And all the energy went out of the rebellion against the state's election results. There was to be just one more objection upheld in both the House and Senate causing a debate. But that too, on Pennsylvania, was overwhelmingly dismissed. And of course, the House and Senate went on to confirm in joint session all the other states' results. The report we make is that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be the president and the vice president. And Joe Biden was declared president and Kamala Harris was declared the vice president. I mean, that's so interesting because watching the spectacle from afar, you know, a lot of people were describing it as a coup as these protesters suddenly burst in to the seat of power. And actually, was there a parallel story playing out where actually we were watching during the course of one day all power seeping away from President Trump? The last power that seems to be left to President Trump is the power to incite his most aggressive and obsessive supporters on the streets. Because what we saw during the day was really the death throes of the Trump presidency. We woke up to the results of two Senate runoffs in Georgia. And it was incredibly significant because this handed control of the Senate back to the Democrats. And that's so important for a president because not only does it make it more likely that their legislation 
will be passed, the cabinet members will be confirmed, the, the judicial nominations will be confirmed. But it also gives the new majority leader, who will be Chuck Schumer, this New York Democrat, he, he's the guy now who will really set the agenda for the day in, in the Senate and can bring things to the floor. So that was one tremendous reverse for Trumpism, if you like, that the president could no longer dragoon Republicans to get to the polls to back the party in an absolutely crucial vote, a sign of his waning power in this what we call the lame duck period between his election defeat and the inauguration. And the next sign that Trump's grip on the levers of power was slipping completely was that Mike Pence, the vice president, publicly repudiated Mr. Trump's repeated calls for him to use this joint session of Congress that's supposed to be a formal occasion to confirm the election results as a method of trying to overturn the results in several of the swing states so that, in fact, the winner of the election was Trump himself. And the pressure was applied behind the scenes. They had a lunch earlier in the week, which apparently went very badly because Mike Pence told the president, look, the Constitution, just give me the power to open these envelopes with the results in. It's not the power to reject results from a state. And the Republican Party, especially the wing that Mike Pence comes from, is absolutely devoted to upholding the Constitution as written. So, in other words, not over or under-interpreting the words of the Founding Fathers when they drew up that document and set down what the role of the vice president is on this formal occasion. So that was a bitter blow uh, to Trump, who continued to make veiled threats to Pence, even on the morning of the joint session. It's time that somebody did something about it. And Mike Pence, I hope you're going to stand up for the good of our Constitution and for the good of our country. And if you're not, I'm going to be very disappointed in you, I will tell you right now. Trump addressed the large crowd of his supporters who had come to Washington and said that much as he liked Mike Pence, who was a great guy, he would be disappointed in him after, you've got to say, four years of obsequious loyalty from Mike Pence. It's never enough for President Trump. He couldn't bear to hear his vice president actually explaining to him what was in the Constitution because it didn't meet uh, his demands for Pence to act in, a, in what would have amounted to an illegal way. But I believe Pence had been advised that straight away the Supreme Court would probably have put him right and said, no, you're not allowed to do that. So before the protests really kicked off, you already had the victory in Georgia for the Democrats you had Mike Pence turning his back on Donald Trump. Did that lead to the president and his supporters being even angry? So this all contributes to the feelings of anger and resentment among the most loyal Trump supporters who had come from all over the country, had flown in from across America to be in Washington with him. An estimated 30,000 or more maybe had gathered and they were wound up remorselessly during the morning by a succession of speakers in the most inflammatory terms. We, American patriots, are going to take America back and restore the foundational principles that have combined to make us the greatest nation in world history. People like Mo Brooks, 
uh, a congressman from Alabama. He was the first to say that he would instigate an opposition to the results in, in Congress. He was wearing a yellow and black jacket, which the colours of the Proud Boys of this far-right thuggish group who believe they are defenders of Donald Trump on the streets. He was saying, we'll find out who the true Americans are today. He was followed by, by Don Jr., Trump's oldest son, who said to the crowd, You have an opportunity today. You can be a hero or you can be a zero. Are you going to be a hero or a zero today? There was Rudy Giuliani, his personal lawyer, who said it was a time for action. And then there was Trump himself. We're going to walk down to the Capitol and we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. Who said that they, the crowd had got to show strength. You can't show weakness if you want to take back the country. And he even said, I'm with you. I'm coming with you to the Capitol. I'm, com I'm going to march with you. Even though he'd been driven from the White House in his armoured vehicle just a few hundred yards to the demonstration and promptly got back in it and went back to the White House straight afterwards. It was just another of the long list of lies that Trump has made to these people who believe his every word and, and hang off his every word. I mean, that does make it very hard to see this not being a case of incitement for what came next. Well, unsurprisingly, not just Democrats... Many conservatives and Republicans are saying that this is a prima facie case uh, of incitement by the president, but not just his words on Wednesday morning before the crowd set off. His behaviour since his election defeat has been to remorselessly pump out fantastical and wild claims of fraud in the election that have been knocked down in court case after court case, more than 50 court cases have been brought and failed to try and in some way block Joe Biden's victory or hold it up. Well, this didn't stop President Trump and his inner circle from repeatedly trying to discover new ways that the election could have been rigged, fueled by just incredible claims in the darkest corners of the internet about mysterious Venezuelan computer programs or strange conspiracies to dump votes in the middle of the night, which were really nothing more than the tallies of the ballots coming in from counties in urban areas that were strongly Democrats and took a bit longer to count because of postal votes and came in in a big group and did swing the running total to Biden. But that was nothing more than the usual way that votes are counted in America. And I just can't help feeling that it's because Donald Trump has never paid attention to the democratic process before that he found it a surprise. Amid accusations of incitement and sedition, where does this leave President Trump and America? We'll have more in just a moment. But for expert insight and analysis from David and all of our team in America on the last days of the Trump presidency, do subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times. Join today and enjoy one month free. 
Search for thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The day descended into a series of images seared into the soul of America. Fire lighting up riots at the foot of the Capitol building. Confederate flags being flown inside the corridors of power. The chamber of the Senate becoming the playground of an armed mob of Viking impersonators, white supremacists and far-right thugs. It was the lurid final act of weeks of high drama, of a president desperately clinging to power, threatening officials, launching legal challenges and undermining the legitimacy of elections to do so. Has this period done irreparable damage to democracy in America? So this is the big question now that going forward, whether any election reverse suffered by the Republicans will be met not with the usual handshake and concession speeches that we're used to in in the democratic election process, but with a very aggressive resistance and conspiracy theories and fear-mongering that could tend to make the country almost ungovernable because if you don't accept who's been elected to make the laws, then why should you follow the laws that these uh, so-called illegitimate rulers begin to make? And that's the great fear that was articulated very strongly by Mitch McConnell in his speech uh, on Wednesday. The Senate Majority Leader, now once Trump goes, the most senior elected uh, Republican in America. This election were overturned by mere allegations from the losing side. Our democracy would enter a death spiral. We'd never see the whole nation except an election again. Every four years would be a scramble for power at any cost. 
And he warned of this poisonous path where any election is met with resistance and claims of, of illegitimacy. And that's the populist path that Trump was taking the country down. And it just remains to be seen whether Trumpism in this form persists, because there are obviously several senators and others with presidential ambitions to carry the flame of Trump and also members of his own family. And also, of course, discussion whether Trump himself would run again in 2024. But after Wednesday's events, that does seem rather less likely. So President Trump's last bid to hang on to power may well have cost him his future in politics. In the meantime, we know that the protesters were making their way to the Capitol. And when these angry protesters arrived at the Capitol, you know, you mentioned how different the response was compared to the Black Lives Matter protests a few months ago. Why was that? Whose decision would that have been? We haven't really got to the bottom of all the the policing protocols and the handling of of the day. And I suspect that that will be a big matter of inquiry for weeks to come. But what's clear is that it was much easier for the Trump protesters wrapped in Trump flags and wearing MAGA hats just to get into uh, the Capitol building than it would be for me with a pass. It has to show my pass, go through security, and I'm limited in the places I can go. I can't go to the places that those people were going to on Wednesday. Nancy Pelosi's office, I've, I've walked past the door, but I've never been inside her own personal office. Uh, that's um, kind of a very, difficult, a very difficult place even to find, let alone to sit in her chair and write messages on, on her desk as, as Trump supporters did on Wednesday. And just describe for us, what was it like watching the whole thing unfold from the moment they burst in? Well, it was a surreal day and I wasn't in the building uh, at the time. So I, like most of America, was watching the live coverage on the networks and the networks were genuinely asking, is this a coup? Is this what we're watching? We're seeing the the hearts of American democracy overrun by protesters, some of whom are clearly armed and who want to try and force a different outcome to the election than that chosen by 80 million plus voters that Joe Biden should be the next president. And that, for many people, Joe Biden included, he called it borderline sedition and an insurrection. This is not dissent. It's disorder. It's chaos. It borders on sedition. And it must end now. One that, as historians were quick to point out, hadn't been seen since 1814 when the British were the last hostile force to breach the perimeters of the Capitol building in in a violent attack. In middle of all of that, there was actually a shooting. One protester did die. Tell us a bit about that. What do we know about what happened? Protesters became looters, turning the Capitol inside out. Sadly, four people died in the chaos, including 14-year Air Force veteran Ashley Babbitt, who was shot... So what we know is this was a, a woman who came from California to join the protest after writing online that Pence should be prosecuted for failing to support 
uh, Trump and that this was a day that would bring the light back into the capital following the darkness and who at the moment that she was shot was attempted to break through barricades that had been set up by the authorities to prevent protesters from getting further into the heart of the capital building and in that melee she was shot in the neck by one of the police or law enforcement officials in the Capitol building. As rioters stormed the Capitol, the president resisted calls to bring in the National Guard. Eventually, in a sign of what may happen in the last days of his presidency, Donald Trump was sidelined and Vice President Mike Pence took control, deploying the National Guard to take charge of the chaos at the Capitol. And that's a sign that, again, President Trump's hands on the levers of power are slipping completely and in either in an abdication of his leadership role or in, in simply being overruled and disregarded from the leadership chain of command by Mike Pence as vice president. We'll have to find out exactly how that happens, but it's, again, a sign of Trump's, the ever-weakening of Trump's power. For a lot of people, that was the moment where it made the questions about what happens next very real. What is the decision that Mike Pence has to take now? So there are obviously calls for President Trump to be removed. And there are basically two ways this can be done without his consent. The longer route would be a second impeachment, which is the bringing of charges uh, in the House by a simple majority. But then there would have to be a trial and conviction in the Senate. And of course, this was... Um, a process that we went through over the last winter and President Trump was impeached in the House, which means that the charges were, were brought and he came to trial in the Senate, but he was easily cleared because you need a two-thirds majority of the Senate to convict him. I think the consensus is that there may well be the majorities that are needed to to actually see through an, an impeachment and conviction this time, but it would take probably longer than there is left to go on the presidency with less than two weeks to go. So the more immediate way of, of removing a president is the 25th Amendment to the Constitution that was brought in after the Kennedy assassination in the 60s because of fears that a president could be incapacitated and there needed to be a formal method of replacing a president, perhaps, who was severely ill or wounded to allow the vice president to take over. But this is worded in such a way that would allow for Mike Pence to take over and for the removal uh, of President Trump on the grounds of uh, incapacity. That's, that's the broad term that's, that's used in the 25th Amendment. And it would require, according to the amendment, it would require a majority of the principal officers of the executive. In other words, the, a majority of the cabinet would have to agree to install Mike Pence and to remove President Trump on the grounds of incapacity. And we know that some Democrats were drawing up articles of impeachment. Is that likely to come to anything? Again, it remains to be seen whether a second impeachment gets off the ground. I can see it being brought to the floor of the House, but I just think that there isn't enough time left in the presidency of, of Trump to, to see it through in a meaningful way. In other words, that it happens in time in, in the Senate while he's still in office. So we're really looking to whether the, the cabinet goes through with the 25th Amendment. So the state of the Republican Party... Has President 
Trump lost most of his support there. What happens to the party next? So it was always assumed before Wednesday that President Trump would remain a real force in the Republican Party. But I think that's in question now. You can see that even his strongest supporters in the Senate are trying to put some distance uh, between themselves uh, and President Trump. People like Lindsey Graham. Uh, Trump and I, we've had a hell of a journey. I hate it being this way. Oh, my God, I hate it. From my point of view, he's been a consequential president. But today, first thing you'll see. All I can say is uh, count me out. Enough is enough. A regular golf partner and really loyal supporter basically said uh, enough is enough. And he said he'd tried, but that that was it. Uh, So when people like that are, are keen to put distance after the years of really slavish devotion, you can see that a true moment of reckoning is coming now. They have to decide whether they still want to be enthralled to Trump and his family, because there's no doubt that Don Jr., believes he is a contender for the presidency in in the future, as indeed Mr. Trump himself was holding out the very real likelihood that he could run again in 2024. It's really a moment where the Republican Party has to decide to stick with Trumpism. But this is also an opportunity for those who want to finally break the grip of President Trump on the party as his presidency comes to an end. Out of the chaos and anarchy of January the 6th could come a kind of reclaiming of the traditional Republican Party from Trump and his family. This wasn't just a pivotal moment in the fortunes of the president and his brand of politics – It was a moment that could change America forever. As the world watched and global leaders rushed out statements condemning the chaos in Washington, D.C., it became harder and harder to see how America could possibly retain its image as a model democracy, the shining city on the hill, the leader of the free world. We saw comments from leaders around the world who were just aghast at the spectacle in Washington, which for many world leaders has been looked to as a beacon of democracy and a leader on the world stage. But for it to be brought so low by President Trump is a real indictment on his presidency. And it's fortuitous that there's only a few days left to go before Joe Biden can take the reins. Fortuitous for America, fortuitous for America's standing in the world, I should say, because Biden has always been an internationalist who has been keen to repair uh, and restore America's leadership on big international questions, not least climate change, which has been totally ignored by the Trump presidency. And we will undoubtedly see a big effort by the Biden presidency to repair the damage that not just Wednesday, January the 6th, but the the damage that the Trump presidency has done to America's leadership on the big issues of the day from climate change to nuclear power.
You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, The Times US editor, David Charter. You can read more of David's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers today were Edward Drummond and Sevda Moyasari. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Carla Patella. If you can, please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to get in touch with any ideas for stories you'd like us to look at, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do drop us an email at storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Have a lovely weekend. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.